I got to tell you, before I get going, um, you know, the whole thing, as we talked about with the temple and the Old Testament times of worship, a lot of that was done as family. And I hope that uh, today we had Dylan take communion with us, and he hasn't done that before. Um, But it's one of those things that later I get an opportunity to really talk to him about. And that's one of the reasons we're kind of doing some things differently. And so I hope you'll take that opportunity this afternoon and really share with your kids, especially your younger ones that just went bolting out the door uh, what that's all about and, and why that's a precious thing to us as Christians. And so it, it's exciting. It was, it was kind of neat as my family. So I just want to share that little moment with you. But, um, growing up, I had a series of jobs that were, to say the least, diverse. Um, the, the game we actually like to play is what has Fat Rock never done? And uh, <laughs> sometimes it's easier uh, to name a few, my first job was mowing yards. Most most guys start out that way um, in the neighborhood, and I mowed yards and made extra money. When I turned 14, I got my first real job, and I was washing dishes on the weekends at a restaurant on Chrome Avenue in, in Homestead, Florida. It's called the Botanical Garden Restaurant, and I, I wanted my very own Honda Big Red three-wheel ATV, three-wheel. I'm probably the reason they now have four, Okay. <laughs> That's a whole nother sermon. Uh, so I started working at 14, washing dishes. And kids, just so you know, teenagers, minimum wage was three twenty-three an hour. That's what it was. Wash dishes for not even $4 an hour, all right? Yeah, now it's like seven whatever. It's awesome. But so I washed dishes. As, as I was doing uh, washing dishes, I was still mowing yards. I finally uh, went through some things, and I was able to get that three-wheeler. But as I grew, went into high school, by the time I got into high school, I was no longer washing dishes for a living at the Botanical Garden Restaurant Center. I was doing morning prep work for the restaurant, and I also did what they called the deli line in the afternoons and evenings. I would go in at 4.30 in the morning, and I would crack like two cases of eggs into five-gallon buckets because they made up omelets for specials, and I would do all that stuff. And then I would go to school, walking uphill both ways in the snow. (laughs) Oh, no, wait, there's no snow in Florida. Ah, there's no hills either, but needless to say, uh, and then I worked the deli line, learned to make sandwiches and salads and things like that. I, I progressed. Uh, my junior year in high school, I learned cake decorating from Wilton's, uh, all three levels of cake decorating. I worked several different positions in a rock quarry as I graduated from high school, uh, greasing drag lines and drove some of the big trucks at 18. I also went to clown school. I even have a little certificate that says so. Uh, my name was Rowdy the Clown. I've got pictures later for the kids, uh, characters you can color. Um, <laughs> I had a short stint as a barrel clown for the rodeo that was local in our area, and I would poke my head out and say stuff, and they'd roll me around with a bull. That was exciting. <laughs> well, that didn't really come out right, did it? <laughs> I worked with exotic animals, lions, tigers, and bears. Thank you. And, and I really did do that. Uh, I built fences. I have worked for Nike. I have worked in human resources for a painting, con- uh, painting contracting company in Florida. Um, I worked as a campus monitor for a high school. I learned so much about high schoolers in the time frame that I worked there um, and their culture. And it was really great. Here's the thing. When I started out to get my first job, as I said, my motive was simple. I wanted a three-wheeler. And I wanted the Honda Big Red 350. It was the biggest, it was the baddest, and I wanted it. And I worked really hard, and I got it. 
so I started doing all those things. But something happened after the ATV. Something changed. I realized that by doing a good job, my boss and my supervisors and the people that I worked with, they would say things like, hey, good job. Wow. They would say, well done, or you're really getting the hang of that. Way to go. Looking back, I realized that those were things that my dad didn't often say to me very much. And I learned, I realized I also enjoyed hearing those things and kind words from these people. And the priority of pleasing someone kind of became my new focus for working. The money was good, but I really enjoyed hearing somebody say, well done, good job. Um, I felt that responsibility to do my job to the best of my ability, but even more, I didn't want to let anybody down. And in doing so, I actually became that guy who couldn't say no. And many times the end result was that I would overcommit on things and then ultimately I would let people down. It wasn't until I was in college and married to my first wife and, and current wife. She's my only wife. And, and actually, Mitzi was very instrumental in teaching me that sometimes it's better uh, to say no from the beginning than to overcommit and let somebody down in the end. And it, and it took a while for her to help me understand that. You see... While the principles of hard work and the commitment that I learned have been very valuable, my motivations for the reason that I did the things I did raise some interesting questions that relate back to the book of Malachi. It relates back to his rebuke. It relates back to the things that he said toward the Levitical priests and the people of Israel. You see, my motives became warped. Now, there's nothing wrong with having a job. There's nothing wrong with with wanting to to do your best. But my motives became warped. and, And I just wanted to please everybody. And in trying to do so, I started letting people down. Let me ask you this. You don't have to answer out loud. I'll be the only one that embarrasses anyone today, and it'll be myself, all right? How much do you, or how much value do you place in keeping the commitments that you've made to other people? Most of us would say that rate's pretty high on our scale. How much time and energy do you spend trying to please people, other people in your life, not just yourself, but other people, how much time and energy do you spend trying to please people in your life? If you're in, a, in a, a hospitality industry, that's all you do. You spend your whole day saying, well, good morning, sir. Good morning, ma'am. Oh, let me get that for you. You look really nice today. Can I sit here. Can I carry that? It's, it's how things go sometimes. Now, when we change the question just a little bit, do you invest more in pleasing men than pleasing God? Do you interact with God in ways that you wouldn't with other people? Do you worry about the things of humanity more than the things of divinity? Pray with me. Father God, I thank you that we can come here today and we can open up your word and we can hear from Malachi. We can hear from you. And I pray, Lord, that what we hear will break our hearts. I pray that what we hear will challenge us to leave here differently than how we are right now. I pray that that what we hear, what, what is revealed to us from your word, will change us so that we can impact our community, so we can shine a light, so that people know without a doubt we serve you and that we honor you with the life that we live. In your son's name we pray, amen.
I want to start off today looking at Malachi chapter 3. That's kind of where we are in the, in the four chapters of Malachi. And uh, in case you haven't got it just yet, um, I'll give you a, a spoiler alert. Our focus today is warped motives, okay? Because I think we all start out with good intentions, and somewhere along the line we, we start to get derailed sometimes, uh, distracted, if you will, by the world. We'll start out in Malachi chapter 3. We're going to read the whole chapter, verse 1. See, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. Then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings in righteousness, and the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord as in the days gone by, as in former years. So I will come near to you for judgment. I will be quick to testify against sorcerers, adulterers, and perjurers, against those who defraud laborers of their wages, who oppress the widows and the fatherless and deprive aliens of justice. But do not fear me, says the Lord Almighty. Verse 6. I, the Lord, do not change. So you, O descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your forefathers, you have turned away from me, or excuse me, from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Will a man rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how do we rob you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out much blessing that you will not have room, excuse me, so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your fields will not cast their fruit. That means their fruit won't fall on the ground. <clears throat> the vines in your field will not cast their fruit, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. You have said harsh things against me, says the Lord. Yet you ask, what have we said against you? You have said it is futile to serve God. What did we gain by carrying out his requirements and going about like mourners before the Lord Almighty? But now we call the arrogant blessed. Certainly the evildoers prosper. And even those who challenge God escape. Sounds familiar when we look at the state of our world right now. Then those who fear the Lord talked with each other and the Lord listened and heard. A scroll of remembrance was written in his presence. Concerning those who feared the Lord and honored his name. They will be mine, says the Lord Almighty. In the day when I make up my treasured possession, I will spare them. Just as in compassion, a man spares his son who serves him. And you will again see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked. Between those who serve God and those who do not. After reading through the first three chapters of Malachi, I have to tell you, it's become very apparent to me that the high priest carried a huge burden on his shoulders. All these, these first three chapters are about kind of straightening up and... and Dusting yourself off. And I, and I got to thinking about the high priest and the weight of sin that he carried as he went 
into the tabernacle. Think with me just for a moment. He didn't carry just the sin of the people, but the reminder that he himself was one of those people. And some of the weight that he bore as he would go into the Holy of Holies, as he would go in to prepare the sacrifice before the Lord, some of the weight that he bore was from his own sins. And, and the, in, in, in Deuteronomy and, and in previous books, it talks about the, the, um, the order of how these things would happen. And so before he could make a sacrifice on behalf of his people, he must make a, a sacrifice on his own behalf. And that's where the, bulls, the blood from the bull was for, because he was a sinner too. And even though the high priest had to recognize his shortcomings, he had to know that regardless of how much good he did, evil was crouched next to him all along. It's the world we live in. Even his most gracious actions and his best works must be cleansed with blood. His actions were tainted and became tainted by the impurity of motive. At this time, the priests were bringing blemished offerings to the Lord. At this time, I think about the priest at this time of Malachi walking into the innermost room, into the presence of the, of the holy. He had to remember his countless times that his heart was impure. The thing I've come to realize is that our level of priority reveals very much about what we believe about God. We can make grand claims about how much we value God and respect his authority and love him and want to serve him and desire to live for him. But until we start to prioritize him, we haven't really internalized those things. The truth is, we, O oh priests, remember, like Andy said, well, Andy didn't say it, in the scripture he read, your body is a temple that the Holy Spirit of God lives in. So as Christians, that makes you a priest. We, O oh priests, have, much like the priests of the Old Testament, become far more committed to other areas of life than we are to God. Look at verses 2 through 4. Before we do that, I have a side note. The book of Malachi, and I want you to understand this, because like I said last week, this gets deep, and, and I don't want you walking out of here going, oh, I'm a horrible person. But the book of Malachi is not just about the rebukes and the disciplines and stuff. I've realized in, in studying through it, it's about restoration. This is the last thing that God said to his people for 400 years. And, and I got to tell you, and parents, you can appreciate that. It's straight up tough love. God is speaking through Malachi to his people and he's telling them, hey, knock it off the last thing I'm going to tell you, and I'm going to be quiet for a while. The last thing he says. But in reading chapter 3, I realized the goal wasn't discipline and rebuke and just the Lord saying mean things to his followers. The goal, the focal point of this whole book of Malachi is restoration. And I want you to keep that in mind as we go through the rest of this. Is restoration, that's the goal. Verse 2, but who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. In case you're wondering the connection there, both of those bring purity. Both of those bring cleanliness. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. 
Then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings in righteousness, and the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord as in the days gone by, as in former years. He, he wants to restore these people so that their offerings will be like those of Judah from back in the day. That's what he's saying. Do you know the story about how silver is purified? Are you all familiar with that? It goes like this. Um, Malachi, first off, says that God will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. The process of purifying and refining silver is an impressive task. And no, I was never a silversmith, okay? I didn't do that. Um, I did guard a jewelry stand at the mall for uh, Christmas time one year with another guy, but I never made jewelry and I wasn't a silversmith. But as I understand it, the silversmith stays with the silver the whole time. He stays with that material that he's working with from start to finish. You see, silver in its raw form is ugly. It's blemished. He starts pouring and melting and, and refining the silver until it's perfect. And there are no blemishes in it. And, and they say that the silversmith knows when that time is because he can see his reflection in the silver without blemish. He can see his reflection perfectly in what he's refining. Do you see it now? As Malachi is saying all these things to the Levites and the priests and the people of Israel, he slips this in. Actually, God slips this in. He says, he will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. The Lord will have men who will bring offerings in righteousness. He's going to refine the people so the offerings they bring are in righteousness, not just in monetary sums or goats and lambs, but in righteousness. And the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord as in days gone by, as in former years. Here is God saying to his people, even after all the stupid things you've done, all the things you continue to do that break my heart and hurt me, I'm not giving up on you yet. This is God saying to his people, I will sit with you as the refiner sits. Not for a moment, not for a fleeting glimpse, but until the job is done. I will sit with you until I see my reflection in you. This is God saying, I will sit with you until I see my likeness in you. And and if you start to tarnish, I will refine you again. Now, it's true. Refinement is a hot process. It's fire. (laughs) Okay. It's, It's not always pleasant. And if you're a slow learner, may take a little while it happens but i love that picture of restoration god wants to refine us he wants to bring us around so we're a reflection of him many people get hung up on the negativity in the message of malachi and it is a message of rebuke and discipline and correction but it's a message of restoration and love parents can all say amen because we live that it's what we do God loves his people so much that he he loves us too much to allow us to go around blemished with the stains of the world on our faces. He wants us to go around with a reflection of him on our faces. And and that's really what's coming about in chapter 3 of Malachi. That's what God wants from us. I want you to take a moment. I want you to think about all the things that you're involved in. Think about all the things that encompass your commitments and your responsibilities. And think about how you approach those things. Now think about how you approach 
the matters in your life that relate to God? Are your standards the same? Or are you giving more to God or giving more to the world than you are to God? Do your priorities line up? Does your work ethic and your commitment reveal his greatness and his authority? What kind of priorities do your actions reveal? As we prepare for our offering time, I would like for you to think about something for just a second. what does your heart say when we put the stethoscope up to it? How are you giving? When you bring your tithes and offerings to the Lord, does your heart sing hallelujah with gladness? Does your heart cry with work motives because you're giving out of the thoughtless guilt and duty? I want to read with you um, what I have coined the Christian's favorite scripture about giving. And it comes from Malachi chapter 3, verse 6. I, the Lord, do not change. So you, O descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your forefathers, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Verse 8, will a man rob God? This is God speaking. Yet you rob me. But you ask, how do we rob you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you are robbing me. 
bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. This is the part all the Christians like and all the televangelists. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops. The vines in your fields will not cast their fruit, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed. For yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. Oh yeah, we're excited about giving now. They're going to call me blessed. Yeah, go ahead and write those checks again. No, I'm kidding. They're going to call me blessed. I bring, maybe you're sitting here thinking, you know what, I bring my whole tithe every week, every Sunday, but my storehouse is still empty. I give every week and my life still stinks. Where are these blessings, Lord? I'm bringing you my best on Sunday. And I still live the same. Nothing changes. Exactly. Nothing changes. Verse 7 says, Ever since the time of your forefathers, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord. But you ask, how are we to return? Will a man rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how do we rob you? In tithes and offerings, you are under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you are robbing me. Verse 10, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Here's the deal. The Levites and the priests, they missed it. And I think the whole nation of Israel missed it. And if we're not careful, we're going to miss it too. The whole tithe, that little part right there, the whole tithe, that God wants you to bring into the storehouse, it's not your 10%. It's not just your check. That whole tithe is not just an unblemished goat or dove or, or a bull. It, that's not it. He expects those things to be perfect. Absolutely. He deserves those things to be perfect. But the whole tithe is you. The whole tithe is you. The whole tithe is me. Whether you're giving out of wealth or you're giving out of poverty, the gift pales in comparison to the motive of the giver. Churches are notorious, all kinds of jokes about, oh, they passed the plate three times because they didn't have enough money. It's not about the money. It's about where we are. Seriously, bringing your whole tithe, your whole self before the Lord. Whether... Whether you give to God out of a warped motive of brainwashed obedience, it's what some of us do. Why do you bring a check to the church? Oh, I'm supposed to. My parents always did growing up, so I did too. Listen, if you're giving that way, stop. If you're giving out of a warped motive, stop. If you're giving out of, out of just a, a habit that means nothing to you, stop. But today, start. Start bringing the whole tithe into God's storehouse. As we bring our tithes and our offerings today, I want to challenge you to make a commitment to God that this week you will bring your whole tithe before him. And I'm not talking about right here today in the next five minutes. I want you to bring your whole tithe before God and ask him to use it for his glory, not your own. That's all of you. As we present our money 
I want you to present yourself. I want your prayer to be, Lord, it's not just my 10%. It's all of me. I'm giving you all of me. Use me how you will. Don't miss it. Don't be like the Levites and the priests. Don't be so caught up in in traditions and in rules and in all these things about giving and about propriety and worship and washing your hands that you miss the simplicity of what we're asked to do. Give all of yourself right now. Pray with me. Father God, we come before you with your word in our faces and and I pray that it's on our hearts. And and I know we're uncomfortable a little bit right now because you're revealing to us what you would have us do. And and I know in in our world we live in, it's a challenge to to honor you every day and it's a challenge to serve you and it's a challenge to do things for others and not seek um, self-satisfaction and not to to be noticed. Lord, I pray as we give of our tithes and our offerings today, as we give you our money, I pray, Lord, that in our hearts, each one of us will make a commitment to give you our whole tithe. We give you ourselves today, Lord. And I pray that this week you will use each one of us Use us in a way that's pleasing to you. Lord, I ask that. And I ask that you would hear our prayer and that it would be answered according to your will. And I pray that as we give today, it will be a reflection in our heart of hallelujahs and joy. Not, Not out of hurt, not out of warped motives, but a pure and grateful heart. In your son's name we pray, amen.